Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 18 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I am really excited to be picking the brain of Peter Shankman. Peter is the ex-founder of Harrow, the largest free source repository in the world, which was acquired just two years after he started it. Peter is the founder of Shankminds Breakthrough, a private online entrepreneurial community with clients in 10 countries. Peter also hosts the award-winning podcast on ADHD called Faster Than Normal, which is helping to turn the conversation around ADHD from curse to gift by interviewing successful people who have made ADHD their secret superpower. His social media clients include big names such as American Express, Disney, the Royal Bank of Canada, and Sprint, to name just a few. He has also been featured on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and many other media networks. Peter is also a best-selling author, angel investor, NASA advisor, skydiver, and Ironman triathlon. Peter, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Great to be here. Pick away. Oh boy, Peter, you are one highly accomplished individual. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> no, I think you get it all. I just, uh, you know, I don't sleep a lot. Okay. So before we delve into how you managed to achieve so much in one lifetime, why don't we go back to the start? What was it like growing up? I was very much the, what's the best way to put it, very much the awkward kid. I was socially awkward, uh, didn't have a lot of friends. I later found out that was mostly due to, uh, ADD and ADHD, my, my inability to sit still sort of played its way out through all portions of my life. But uh, I learned at one point that that was valuable, that, you know, if you, if you could stop caring what other people thought, you could really do some great things. And so for me, my goal was to, I realized at an early, early age in my professional career that I couldn't work for anyone else. And so I said, let's, you know, let's go out on our own. Let's do some, some fun stuff on our own. And, uh, and so the rest is sort of history, as it were. Right. That's, that's really fun. I really relate to that. I was also kind of bullied in high school. I used to jump on the tables and uh, I had pretty much detention almost every day. Uh, I even had one teacher say, uh, if I if I chuck Geffen out the window, will anyone uh, say anything? So yeah. that was pretty much my, that was my, uh, my upbringing. Now, you started a company called Harrow in your apartment and then you sold it after just two years. Can you explain to our listeners, first of all, what Harrow is, why you started it and your reason for selling it? Harrow was a way for journalists and sources to connect each other. So if you are a journalist on deadline, you're being asked to do a lot more with a lot less. If you're a source, you can either hire a PR firm or spend all your time not doing your business, but rather pitching uh, journalists. So I figured there had to be a way to connect the journalists who were looking for sources with the sources who were looking for press. Over time, I would just be talking to a lot of people. I know a lot of people. And in my talking to them, they would, you know, oh, yeah, I know this guy. He uh, he does that or you know, journalists would call me, Peter, I'm doing a story on blah, blah, who do you know? And, mm. and over time, it, it, I said, there's got to be an easier way to do this. And so I set up a little mailing list. And the mailing list started off as a Facebook group. We outgrew that in about a week. It wow. moved to the web. Within a year, we had about 100,000 subscribers. Within two years, we had about half a million or a quarter million. And uh, the site was acquired about two and a half years after I started it. And so it connects journalists with sources all around the world. That's incredible. But you, you basically had to build a network before that for that to become. Well, I talked to everyone. I mean, the person who is, you know, I pity the most is the guy sitting next to me in the airplane, because unless he uh, 
<laughs> Unless he fakes his death, I'm pretty much going to know everything about him by the time we land. So I just like I like learning about people. I like knowing what makes people tick. I like knowing what what people you know why they're interesting. And so I always talk with them. And so because of that, it became very easy to sort of say, hey, you know what? I know all these people. I could probably create a way for people who need these people to meet people who who can you know it, it was it was that simple really. Right. You basically just created a platform exactly uh, for what it was. Right. And. So did you do any marketing to like grow that list a quarter of a million or was it purely just you going out there and just talking to people? For me, it was primarily my going out and talking to people. The nice thing about Harrow is that once you started it, once you got, once you used it and got in the media, all you want to do is share that and tell the world. So people pretty much did my PR for me. That was one of the ways I learned, I guess, that, that what you want to do is not so much tell people how awesome you are, but rather have them... You know, you want to about create you. great things and that they'll tell other people how awesome you are. Right. And by the way, you also you published a, a best-selling book called Zombie Loyalist. It sounds like something Stephen King would write. What, what's, what's that about? <laughs> well, that actually talks about exactly what we just said. The concept of zombie loyalists essentially is that, that we expect to be treated like crap in, in any customer interaction. So if we treat our customers just one or two levels above crap, they actually wind up doing our PR for us. They tell the world how great we are. And, uh, you know, they will tell the world. And, and we are really at the point where the concept of creating great customer experiences is what's going to lead the, the, the future of the economy. You know, it's no longer about, I'm awesome. It's about other people saying, my God, he's really awesome. And then people believing mm. that. How do you get people to talk about you and to, and to say you're awesome? Because people like nowadays, the traditional way is to send out an email going, oh, can you write a testimonial about what we do? Oh, can you like my page right. on it's, Facebook? That's it's such, like a mis- so... it's such a mistake. Yeah. The best way to possibly do it is simply to create, just to be a little bit better than normal. We expect to be treated like crap, be one level above crap. You don't have to be good. Just, just one level above crap. <laughs> and, and you know, think about the last great flight you had. Chances are what made it great was that you took off on time and you landed on time. Right. Right. Oh, wow. So they did exactly yeah. what they said they do and you're over the moon. That tells you. But people you. don't tweet about that, do they? Exactly. Oh, All plan. we have to do is just be a little bit better. Right. And you also wrote a book called Can We Do That? Outrageous PR Stunts That Work and Why Your Company Needs Them. Can you give a few examples of some outrageous PR stunts you've done yourself? Sure. I mean, you know, we, we've done a great thing. I, I, I'm a skydiver. I became a skydiver because I decided to take 150 people, CEOs, skydiving during the dot-com boom. I thought it would be fun. It would promote <laughs> What a great idea. <laughs> uh, they all went. Everyone had a great time. I got addicted. But, uh, you know, for, a PR stunt is one of those things that really sort of changes how people think about uh, what, they're, what, what something normal is. And, and they think about your business or whatever you're doing in more of an exciting way. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great PR stunt is a stunt not just for the sake of a PR stunt. A PR stunt for the sake of a PR stunt is pointless. A PR stunt for the sake of something that, that lives on, that people remember, that's your benefit. So give me an example of something recent that's come out that was a PR stunt that, that worked really well. Well, I think that one of my favorites is, you know, Taco Bell is always famous for that. You know, several years ago when uh, there was a, a space satellite that was falling down to Earth, they, they, they put a target in the Indian Ocean. They said if, this, if any of the space satellite hits this target, everyone in America gets a free taco. You know, it's <laughs> things that you la- exactly. You laugh at it. You remember it. It's great. That's really funny. Wow. There's something you said that really resonates with me on your website. You wrote that back in school, I was always getting, I was always the one getting in trouble for talking too much. And now I get asked by global organizations to come in and talk to their employees and keynote top industry conferences. And this is something so true for me. 
But the only thing is, is I still haven't managed to sort of break into the speaking circuit. Something I'd love to do. And I'm sure a lot of people listening as well would, would love to get paid for public speaking. What advice would you give? Best advice I can give you to get paid for public speaking is to ask to get paid for public speaking. Too many <laughs> people do public speaking for free because they don't think they can get paid for it. And if you ask, it's pretty amazing what happens. A lot of people are going to say yes. And what do you deal with? What do you, how do you deal with nerves and, and the fear of going up on stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people? You know, it's, it's, how do you get over that? Well, how one do of the benefits of having ADD is that those are the kind of things that excite the hell out of you, right? right? I love doing that. For me, that's like the highlight of my day. I get all the dopamine and serotonin and all that stuff that I could ever use from that, you know. Right. But for people who might be a little uh, fearsome, just remember this, you know, you are going to speak because people want, they're paying to hear you. So they already believe that you have the knowledge. So if you have that knowledge and people already believe it, then you know, that should make it a little easier for you. Right. And, and talking about, you know, ADHD and having and how to deal with it, you, you've got your own podcast show now called Faster Than Normal, and you seem to be very passionate about the subject. Do, do you think that having ADHD has helped you accomplish what you have? Uh, there's no question about it. You know, having ADHD has been tremendous in helping me sort of get where I want to be and, and do what I want to do. Again, a lot of it is being able to not care so much about what other people think. Right. For me, I, you know, I just go and have fun. And, and if, if people aren't into that, oh, well, you know, I mean, it goes on. There's a lot of people nowadays that take various medications and stimulants to manage I their have, hyper- So I have a, um, I have a, uh, what's the word? I have a uh, prescription for okay. medication and I use it very infrequently. I use it when I have to um, do things like expense reports. You know, boring, okay. <laughs> boring, boring things that I hate doing. Uh, Why don't you just outsource it? Well, some things you just simply can't. You know, when I have to do my expenses and my receipts, you know, my assistant doesn't live here. So I have to send them to her, which means I have to find them. and I have to. So for me, it's really about knowing that in that case, okay, this is what I have to do. 99% of the stuff I do, I like to outsource. No question about it. Right. But in this case, I have to... You know, there are some things you have to do. And so, so if, right. So like when you, when you go out with your wife on a date, for example, you probably take the pills just before, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you get yeah, in trouble. No, that one's actually pretty easy. But, you know, for things like, you know, a great example is when I have to uh, focus on things that, aren't, that don't excite me, things that don't thrill me, things that really are not the highlight of my day. In that situation, I need to make sure that I am on my game. And so, again, normally it's things like involving math or expense reports or things like that. So when you go up to put, to do a public speech, you don't take these medications. Oh, I'm already. I love I love going out. I love talking. <laughs> all that stuff. Right. I have a son who's actually. I have three children. One of them, the middle one, is six, and he is just crazy hyper. He probably gets a little bit from me and my wife. My, both me and my wife are also a bit hyper, and he's like bouncing off the walls. He's like too much energy at bedtime. We can't seem to get him to listen to us. How do parents of a child with ADHD manage? What should they do? I think the first thing to do is to understand that ADHD really can be a benefit. You know, you have so many parents who want to put their kids on medication immediately, but I think the the key is that if you understand that you don't necessarily have to go on medication, but rather, you know, so a five-year-old needs more energy, needs more excitement. Okay, how about letting them run around? Letting them run around, you know, generates those chemicals in the brain automatically. And you know what? Maybe you don't have to put your five-year-olds on meds. I always, I always think it's funny for people who want to put, you know, oh, well, he's not, he's not calm. He's exa- Maybe that's just because he's five. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, right. why, are you trying to make your, why are you trying to make your five-year-old act like a 45-year-old? That's the part that always gets to me. 
You know, why not right. let them be five? Let them run around. Give them some more time. to. Ex- I guarantee you, if we took our kids and put them in gym for half an hour and let them run around first thing in the morning before school started, the mm. attention rates would be through the roof. That's a good idea. I should try that. I truly believe that. I'm not sure if I have ADHD, but like I'm constantly needing to do something and my brain runs like a thousand miles an hour. And the good thing is that I get a lot done when I focus. But then the problem is that a lot of the time I get overwhelmed and I sometimes crash and burn. Like, how do you stay balanced and focused? How do you balance it out? So I am in the gym by 530 every morning. Whoa. Yeah, I'm up usually around 345 every morning. I go to sleep around 930 at night, nine o'clock at night. So I get a good amount of sleep. If I don't go to the gym, I have, I'm just not okay. This morning, actually, last night I actually went to bed later because my kid wasn't feeling well. So hence the reason I'm actually tired today, but I usually focus on getting enough sleep. Wait, so, th- so this is, so this is you calm? This is me calm, yeah. <laughs> I focus on getting enough sleep. I focus on eating well. Right. That's key. You got to eat, you got to take care of your body. You know, you can't do anything if you're not taking care of yourself. It's, it's the, uh, whatchamacallit, it's, Foundation. No, no, uh, oxygen mask theory. You can't okay. fix anyone else. If, you know, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first so you can't help others. Right. So 5.30, you're in the gym. Holy yep. cow. I was there this morning. Wow. I mean, I play tennis. That's For me, that's my, my sort of outlet, but, but sometimes it's not enough. You've completed 13 marathon, marathons, seven Olympic distant triathlons, two half Ironman triathlons, and one full Ironman triathlon. What are you running away from? <laughs> I think the timing's actually a little out, uh, a little off. I'm, I'm closer to 20 uh, Ooh, wow. marathons, two Ironman, a bunch of others. But for me, it's the challenge to get better. First of all, let's face it, I like food. So... <laughs> Being able to train as much as I do helps me like food and not have a problem with it. For me, it's really about challenging myself and trying to prove that I could do something every single time. I mean, keep in mind, I was the fat kid growing up. Uh, up until about 15 years ago, I only ran to the store for cigarettes. So <laughs> You don't smoke, I take it now. So you really want to find yourself in a better place. So you're basically running running these these marathons just to prove something? Not to prove something, just to... But you know what's really interesting? You're only fighting against yourself. That's the only person you're arguing with is against yourself. You just want to make yourself better. It's interesting, Peter, because before in the conversation, you said that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing things for other people, like to get attention or, or to like prove yourself to other people. You should just do it because you want to do yeah. it. And now I asked you a question about the, the running and you said, well, I need, I need to prove something. So well, no, I need to prove it to myself. I like to prove that I can get better than I was yesterday. I'm constantly in a competition against myself. That's important. Right. So you're saying that, so in other words, the competitiveness is important, but only if it's, it's to beat your own game, yeah, not I mean, trying to look around at everyone else. else. What, the hell, what the hell are you trying to prove? Right. You know? And I'll be honest, and like I'll be honest with you. Like I look at someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, and I'm always thinking, God, I wish I was like him. Like I wish I could do as much as he is, and I wish I was like as. But then, like I, I sometimes then get this moment of clarity. I'm like, but you're not him. He's not you. You just need to be the best you. Exactly. You Live need- your life. Be the best you could possibly be. And and you know, again, at the end of the day, you're just trying to be yourself, and nothing more than that ever. Right. How the heck did you manage to get on the advisory board for NASA? So I have a cat named NASA. And right. <laughs> one of the nice things about doing what I do, having a cat named NASA, is that, and talking about it, sure enough, people listen. And someone said, hey, you know, why is your cat named NASA? I said, oh, I've always been a fan of the space agency. I think they're doing amazing things. I'd love to help them with their marketing, though, because, you know, they're not doing enough to market properly. And da, da, da. they said, oh, well, you know, we happen to, uh, I happen to know someone over at NASA. Do you want an introduction? I'm like, sure. Next thing I knew, it turns out there's a civilian advisory council. And You're kidding. Here we are. <laughs> 
Wow, that's incredible. And and you you sit on a number of advisory boards, and one of them is also um, Scotty Vest. That's the yeah. I've been on the, their board. I've been an investor and uh, uh, advisor for them for about ten, twelve years now. They are phenomenal. So can you explain a little bit about what they do and why you got involved as yeah, well? Yeah, Scotty Vest makes makes great clothing. Their clothing is essentially travel clothing, mm-hmm. hundreds of different types of clothing from uh, boxer shorts all the way to, 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 to jackets. Well, it's like boxer shorts? Yeah. Why do you need boxer shorts to travel in? I mean, <laughs> you know, so they have a, a tiny little pocket in the boxer shorts and you think that you think that's totally not worth it until the first time you ever lock yourself out of your hotel room when you're going to pick up your newspaper in the morning. Mm, I hear that. Amazed at what at, at how much happier you are if that you kept your key in the uh, in the that little pocket of the boxer shorts. So um you know for me it's it's I, I've been a fan of their clothing. I, I could I travel, I do about a quarter million miles a year uh, on a plane. So for me wow. to be able to just have everything in my jacket and uh, use it immediately is is very, very beneficial. Cool. And and how is the company doing so far? Exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. They uh, they're growing year over year growth really really well. I actually reached out to Scott. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I'm trying to get him on the show. So uh, I think uh, uh, remind me. Send me an email to remind me, and I'll make sure yeah. you get on. All right, cool. And 2011, you posted a tweet that was voted as one of the top ten tweets of the year by Twitter, and that was out of a more than 160, is that billion tweets? A yeah, that's billion. billion. Yeah. 160 billion tweets. Do you still think Twitter is effective or has it become too spam infested? I think there's some usefulness to it, but I also think that it's not, you have to understand where your audience is. If your audience is entirely on Twitter, great. That's where you want to be. But mm. it's not, that's not necessarily the case. You need to make sure that you are, you have to know where your audience is. As long as you know where your audience is, I can't tell you what platform to be on, mm. but I can tell you where your audience is. And, you know, if you tell me where your audience is and they, they, you know what platform they're on, that's where you want to be because that's how you're going to best connect to that audience is, you know, if your audience is on Facebook and you're spending all your time on Twitter, well, then you've got a problem, mm. right? So it's a simple question of talking to your audience. Ask them where they are. Ask them what they're doing. They'll tell you. God, they, all they want to do is tell you. They'll tell you everything you could ever want to know about them. But you have to make sure that you are giving them the respect they deserve. Having an audience is, is a privilege. It's, it's not a right. I don't think enough people realize that. It's, it's a privilege. You know, you're not born with the right to have an audience. You're born with the privilege to have one, uh, and you're born with the right to create good content. And if you can create good content, then your audience will stick around. If not, they're going to go away. Right. I mean, a lot of people waste their time on social media. And uh, What would you say is the best strategy, I guess, for, for let's say people who have startups or small businesses, that they're, they're just looking to gain more clients from, from social, but they're just spending so much time just wasting that. How do you monetize it? What, what do you do? Create interesting content. Give people things they want without selling to them. Without You know, self-promotion for the sake of self-promotion is bad. It's kind of like Nickelback. You want to create good stuff. You want to create things that people want, that they want to share. If you're the person offering them the stuff they want to share, they will share it, and then they will remember you as the person who gave it to them. That's how you create good stuff. That's how you, that's how you do good self-promotion. But at the end of the day, like, I think people listening will think, well, okay, great. So I can go on Facebook, go on Twitter, go on Snapchat, and just talk about wonderful things, and I can do cool YouTube videos and share nice content. But at the end of the day, how is it going to get cash in the bank? Like, how are people going to then say, okay, well… well I post, you know, empowering stuff and I post motivational stuff every day. I'm known as sort of the motivational guy and, 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 you know, what I'm doing is I'm constantly building my audience. I'm not selling them anything. I'm building my audience. Then when I do have something to sell, like my mastermind group at shankminds.com, mm-hmm. the day I launched my masterminds group, I had 110 people join up and they were paying $60 a piece per month 
to be a part of this group. And so is that still open? Is that still it open? is still open? Shankminds.com. We actually currently have eleven spots available. That's it. Is that just a marketing play, or is that real? You'll never know. No, it is. It, 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 <laughs> I love it. Number we up we upgrade that number every few months, but we have eleven <laughs> okay. spots available. The reason being that you know. I have been sent, giving people interesting information and, and good quality content for months and months and months and years in some uh-huh. cases. And then when I finally do have something to offer, I'm a trusted source. Hold on. You're giving all this free content away. Why do they need to join your mastermind group? Then they could just follow your, you know, all well, your that's advice. That's a good point, except there's a lot more content, personal connection, conference calls. And if I'm posting one-tenth of the content that I'm posting there, that gives you some idea about how mm-hmm. much I'm posting in the mastermind. Holy cow, right. You talk about the importance of building a personal brand, which clearly you've done an awesome, you know, an awesome job yourself. What should the people listening to this start doing today to build their personal brand? Like, what should they start doing? How, how I think they the get best started? thing you can, you can know, the best thing you can do is, is what do you want to say? What do you want to share? What do you want to talk about? If you can come up with that idea and give that to people, people tend to, I think, best suggestion is that they want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like it's important. So you want to be able to share interesting information that, benefits them. And then in turn, they will start sharing as well. Oh, look how cool this is. I want to take this to wherever. Mm. I think that's, that's the start. You know, again, just understand your audience and know what they want. Right. You almost died a month ago, like while skydiving, and uh, you shared a, va- a very valuable lesson on your blog. Can you share what happened with our listeners? Yeah, I, uh, so I'm a skydiver, and I had a, a jump where my parachute took a lot longer to open than normal. Holy cow. But oh because God. I'm constantly, you know, you, when you jump and you get really used to it, you're like, oh, it always opens, it'll be fine. Just give it a couple, <laughs> couple more seconds, a couple more seconds, a couple more seconds. Well, that, those couple more seconds could have led to death. So, you know, I learned, hey, not necessarily a smart move. So, you know, basically, don't get comfortable. Your comfort zone can kill you. Right. Wow. That's amazing. And, I mean, the thing is, with, with I, I, I've noticed you you just started on Snapchat. I've actually been on it for several years. I just finally started getting serious about it. Right. I'm saying you started getting on, getting on there. I tell you, my problem with Snapchat at the moment is that my whole concept of building content, what's, what's amazing about it is that you can publish something today on YouTube, and in five years, someone could discover it and still, right. and you could still, you know, Snapchat, it's like you put, amazing content out there and then 24 hours it's gone exactly nobody will ever discover it again means there's an urgency to it that means there's something that's worth seeing and so what you need to do is that you need to use snapchat as sort of if you imagine all the content you're putting on youtube or facebook or twitter or all that as the dvd then snapchat is the dvd extras you're not spending a lot of time on it it's just that you have it a catch that's cool you share it as well Interesting. So you would just use Snapchat as sort of a, a, almost like a platform to just get people to then go and subscribe to your YouTube video or your or follow you on. It's just on, another way to make yeah. people feel like they're communicating it closely, more closely with you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Peter, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? I think the best way for everyone to reach out to me is uh, my website is shankman.com. I am okay. uh, Shank Minds is the mastermind. So shankminds.com is the mastermind. Shankman.com is me. I'm at Peter Shankman on all of the socials, and uh, I welcome it. Feel free. Anyone can talk to me at any time. Peter, you are a true inspiration and a real rock star. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.